So low quality intro note, uh, this was my first attempt at a phone interview. It went all right. Um, there were a couple times where I'm a bit embarrassed about how much I talked over Maria um, just in listening to the playback, um, but also just being respectful of her time. I went ahead and just kind of kept things as they were rather than bringing her around again. We also had an issue where we lost a few seconds of audio right around the 10 minute mark, so if it feels like it skips a beat there, um, that's why. But otherwise, enjoy this interview with my friend Maria. Good afternoon, uh, Maria. Uh, welcome in. Welcome to the uh, Popular History Podcast. Um, hi. Lovely <laughs> to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Greg. So I actually know Maria. Um, well, let's see. Did we actually, did we actually meet at Christendom, or did we just meet through Christendom? I think it was the latter. I think it was more through. Yes. 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 Um, I believe you were you were after my time. Yes, and I said I was going to prepare a statement um, for how I got to know you uh, through that, and of course I did not do that. But uh, there will be some extra rummaging. Um, the kids are playing with the dog, so this is definitely a. Um, like we were saying before we started recording, that we are both uh, parents with kids in the house, and uh, we're both kind of keeping a weather ear on them. Um, so, yes, so that will be adventurous. Um, but yes, we're trying some things out. Got a phone interview here. So, Maria, I know you through basically some uh, advocacy work. Um, and yeah, we had we had some... Uh, basically me too stuff going on that we kind of worked on together to try and uh, make things better for folks yes so we were part of an effort from a scrappy band of alumni of christendom college to try to be survivor advocates for students in need and other survivors and we were pushing for reforms of the school particularly hoping that they would adopt Title IX. Yes. Um, yeah. And that was how we uh, got to know each other. And it's mostly been through online. And it's, uh, but it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's maybe a little bit less fruit on the uh, institutional reform front than we were hoping for. But uh, not for nothing. I did have, you know, some reasonably productive conversations with another college that I have some connections to, um, who I'll, I'll go ahead and not, uh, name drop there, but they're up in Canada. Um, yes. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and restart the recording after a little bit of a, uh, a parenthood break. Um, there will probably be more of that, but, uh, that's the adventure of it. And, uh, definitely, you know, it's, it's good for, I think folks to hear from more than just me, um, and honestly, um, another thing with these interviews is, you know, though these are all going to be about Catholicism, it's not always going to be with, um, Catholics. You know, my last interview was with a friend who has never been in the Catholic church. And, uh, in Maria's case, um, it's, uh, as I understand it, it's in their rearview mirror. Is that, uh, well, maybe mm -hmm. that's not the right way to put it, but... <laughs> very when you are cradle catholic like that it does it is and it's very formative your experience it's sort of um 
it's rather like uh, it's rather like being part of a family or part of your heritage in a sense because it's not really something you can escape and it's inextricably tied to your identity. Yes, and I suppose we did go over a little list of questions just kind of in in prep, and I suppose I should stick to the script at least somewhat. Um, I guess the original way I was phrasing this introductory thought was, uh, so Maria, what is your earliest uh, memory of uh, Catholicism? My earliest memories are from infancy and toddlerhood, because I was, as I mentioned before, I was a cradle Catholic, and uh, both of my parents were very, were very religious, and they studied at the Angelicum in Rome, and that's where they both met and got married. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so my earliest memories of Catholicism were part of the everyday air that I breathed. And I remember uh, particularly when we were toddlers and babies, my mother had um, so many icons of the Madonna and child all over the all over the house and she would take our little baby fist and point at them in front of the picture and say this is jesus and this is mary and this is maria and then this is jesus and this is mary and this is jane this is jesus and this is mary and this is baby john and so on and so forth for all 11 of her children oh goodness <laughs> yeah she had 11 children and i was the eldest Oh boy! Now, with 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 that scenario, is that one of those cases where you kind of end up, you know, helping with the uh, other siblings um, in almost a mother role, or was that not quite the case for you? Yes, uh, it was one of those sad cases of parentification of the eldest daughter in a way mm. that was that is not considered appropriate parenting for today. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's that's fair, and uh, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of changes to approach to parenting, which I think it's generally been for the positive. Um, yes. It's... I mean, if we could, like, I love so much of parenting today is, in, I mean, gentle parenting, mindful parenting, if it were only less colonized, if there was less, more mm. credit given to where those practices came from. And also, you know, if it was less, in, less tied up with the rather ableist and uh education system and it wasn't so and if the system wasn't so classist really like for example mm. maybe many large catholic families can relate to this listening in may, many of those of us who grew up with very large families like that sometimes had to squeeze illegally into cars we did not keep up on the car seat safety regulations mm. and we did not replace them for each child, the same old car seat that basically was used for me and was pretty much went through like <laughs> five other children before it got it replaced. And that's um, often, and that's, we need to, especially with uh, like organizations who reach out and try to help these families have to find a balance between finding, identifying the problems that are cultural and identifying problems where they just need more support you know they need to get buy them another mm -hmm. car seat get, they need another car get, get them the help they need someone to come over and help them so that the eldest child can actually go to school mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. yeah getting getting the... oh yes <laughs> so we just... were veering a little off topic 
topic there. My apologies. Oh no, no, no. Trust me. Off, off topic. I don't know. I don't know if you've listened to the show, and uh, I'm gonna edit out your answer if it's not one that I don't like. But uh, anyways, um, off topic is is on topic for this uh, for this podcast. So you're good. You're good. Um, <laughs> so you were you were cradle Catholic, as it were, and uh, now you're not in the cradle. So, uh, what happened, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I was raised in a, a version of Catholicism that I view as rather, rather a cult, in a very specific subset and faction mm. of American Catholicism. And I tried to, and I didn't realize it, of course, because it's not like every, when you escape a cult, it's not like people within the cult are saying, like, we are a cult and our name is, no, they, they say this is how we live our lives. There will be no, there will be no opposition. There will be no deviation from how we live every aspect of our lives. And this life, mm. this is going to be thoroughly integrated into however you live. It's going to control who you can interact with who you can go to school with, how you dress, how you speak, what books you can read, what movies you can watch, etc. And I it's, yeah, sorry. And I, and I think just to be just to be clear for those, well, I'm assuming if folks have strong objections already then they probably already tuned out, but just to be clear, you're not saying that that's necessarily all of Catholicism, but that oh, was no, like that I was said, your experience. A, a faction, a subset of American <laughs> conservative Catholicism. Mm. Yes, and that's not even speaking necessarily for all Catholics who are American who view themselves in some ways culturally conservative. That's not what I'm speaking of when I speak of the cult. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll go into the cult another day. But basically, I came to a realization when I was 18, I was trying to disentangle what I knew of my abusive upbringing from Catholicism proper, as I saw it. And I, when I was 18, I was like, well, what I was raised in is not the true Catholic. <laughs> that's, not, not, that's not the true Catholic experience. That's not, that's not a real Catholic. They're, they're not properly living as they should be. The teachings don't myself and hold on to my Catholicism and discover what it is separate from the abusive upbringing. And so I went mm-hmm. to Thomas Aquinas College and then later transferred to Christendom College and I thought, this is where I'm getting the true Catholic experience. And then after graduating some years afterwards, I was finding ways in which the same the same cultiness I'd encountered in both of those places was following me from Virginia to Kansas. Mm to Washington State, to California, basically, I was able to find little places, little pockets where the cult followed me, so to speak, and I was finding it there, and I was trying, and I was, but I was also encountering other Catholics, many of them educated in more Jesuit schools, for whom Catholicism was completely different, and they were horrified at what, um, at the, the, the part of Catholicism the faction that I had experienced. And so I was trying again and later in my early married years to disentangle myself and try to think like, okay, what is, okay, what is an American Catholic actually supposed to look like? What is, what is actually church teaching and what is 
and then I was trying to dig into church history and trying to trying to decide for myself what things I wanted to hold on to mm-hmm. from the cult, basically, and what things I was actually struggling with. And all the while, my own, uh, it was becoming more acceptable for me to address my own doubts and mm. question and actually try to apply critical thinking to the things I had been taught. And then I, then I gave, became a mother. And mm-hmm. suddenly, oh, and that's when I became a feminist, because suddenly the scales fell from my eyes and there were all sorts of sexist things within the teachings and the culture and the people and things said by popes that were suddenly bothering me because now I was thinking of the, a world from my daughter had to inherit and suddenly my people-pleasing tendencies had to stop and I had to, and things that I had accepted initially as all right, I'll just, I'll suffer through this to keep everyone else happy suddenly wasn't good enough anymore. Mm, and wasn't, mm. I was no longer accepting the excuses for sexism I was seeing everywhere. Mm. And that was separate from my, and then I was increasingly trying to push for a version of Catholicism that affirmed women and empowered women and but the more i was digging into the history and the opposition i was finding was helping me to realize that there was never a true and pure and small version of christianity or catholicism Mm -hmm. where there were no problems that there and there was never a moment in time where you could look back and say all the bishops of rome were suddenly were were listening to the women and proving them there was and also that the institution was was and is patriarchal and so and was very concerned with remaining a bastion of patriarchy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i was like okay where does this where does this leave me yeah so just and, just to just to recap i mean you you sort of had that initial um full-on i guess we'd call it the the cult experience um and then you broadened out and saw like you know it's not all cult and then you look further and saw but there's some cultiness to be found um you know there's well there are problematic things within the doctrines and that don't and the the hierarchy the hierarchical structure are still problematic yes yeah zoomed out further and saw wait a minute there's still issues even if i'm zoomed out as far as i can yes if I zoom out as far as I can and look back as far as I can, there are still problems. So I have to let go of whatever vision that I had of the institution of the Catholic Church being the only true brand of Christianity with Christ's seal of approval and the only one holding the truth, the universal truth. And I have to let go of the idea of the church being inerrant and mm. infallible. And that's and that's what uh, that's usually the moment when you realize that the church teachings aren't infallible and the church may not be infallible is when you have to re-examine and be like because up to that point that is when people are going to start calling you heretic mm. and so you have to ask yourself okay do i stay as a heretic and do i try to reform the church from within or mm-hmm. 
do I leave? And is that actually going to help the church reform if I leave? Mm, mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. I mean, we've 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 talked enough to know that you know, you know, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I I, to, I know that you're not Catholic. Need, yes, we have, we each may need to make our choices, and for many brave Catholics, they make the decision to stay because that will that is what they see as. Uh, that they have because they have hope basically they have hope that the church despite its structure can reform eventually and that they can do good on an individual level where they are and that the church needs them where they are and often they are receiving support at least in community or they have something and they have they're already deeply emotionally invested in order to that's to they, they truly feel at home in that decision and have no regrets for me being raised as I was and then rather shunned by my family and ostracized from the many of the Christendom community, there was um, the only emotional ties that I had to Catholicism were the things that I take with me everywhere, mm-hmm. that I didn't need to go to a church every, every Sunday and have to listen to another misogynistic sermon to, to, to get. So... It didn't make, and it made more sense for me to. It made more sense for me to leave. It it sounds myself. like you weren't you weren't growing. Um, yeah, I wasn't. It wasn't. In pers- that way. I wasn't personally growing in that way, and I wanted to grow by exploring other ideas mm-hmm. and to have the freedom to the freedom to explore those ideas and. I naively thought that you don't scandalize as many people if you once you say I'm gone and I leave the Catholic Church now I'm exploring these ideas but it turns out no they chase after you and tell you to shut up anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, there's um folks with their with their motivations um and you know some are some mean well, some don't mean well um and the end result is not going to be what they what they want it to be necessarily, and just as the uh, as the as the Catholic in this conversation, I will go ahead and say, I mean, look, listeners, if you're not, if the Catholic Church isn't good for you, if it's not a healthy thing for you, um, do what you need to do, including leave the Catholic Church. Like, you need to get your physical, mental, spiritual health. Um, in line um you need to look after yourself in that way um i i think ultimately yes catholicism is the answer that's that's my perspective and i'm i'm not like you know a a relativist but at the end of the day you have to pay attention to what you need and you can't discount that and so do what you need to do to be safe Okay, I am going to go take a moment to remind my kids that barking when I mentioned that I was recording an interview is probably not an appropriate uh, pastime. <laughs> so I'll be back. Anyways, I mean, so obviously there are issues with um, the way women are treated um, within Catholicism and Christianity in general, but of course this is all we're always going to be focused particularly on yes. Catholicism. And in my hum in my humble opinion, the problems are some of them are structural at the moment and mm. are 
exacerbated because it's less it's less of a you know if it were merely a cultural problem maybe you know maybe you well it's that's not to dismiss cultural problems within american catholicism because it's not like everyone can just mass migrate to the one the one <laughs> parish in maine somewhere where <laughs> where they can expect to have uh, their views respected and and their labor compensated etc but you know there's something inherently problematic about an all-male priesthood in which they are required to sign coming into the seminary that they're all heterosexual no asexuals here no homosexuals here no they have to be straight men for some reason otherwise it's not going to be considered they're not going to be considered a meet and perfect offering unto the lord and putting those said heterosexual men uh, in in the in that position of power and then expecting them to minister to women and when they're being taught in this segregating sort of way and othered in this sort of way dogmatically and culturally it's one of the disturbing reasons why there's such a misogyny problem within the seminaries and when they come out within parishes mm. and it's there's something inherently problematic about requiring confession and going to these men that you can't really trust because they're because we know from the practices and the current ongoing scandal that they're you can't trust them because the institution is going to be looking at moving them around and looking out for you're, you're talking like specifically with like the like at, at a physical level um yeah 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 um, yeah that's we're not even addressing spiritual abuse we're not talking about just a maybe a cultural complete separation between a celibate man who doesn't have a family life that he lives with every day and like we see in many other christian denominations with at least family men are leading the congregation they at least know what family life is like and so mm -hmm. there's not the, the disconnect between expectations versus reality and and not I re so much yeah and i remember hard. someone we were talking in kind of you know the the lead up to this um just in the background um I, I, it, it seems like there maybe is something to, you know, we're used to saying, oh, you know, men are the strong ones, um, unless it comes to sin, in which case, you know, oh, men are weak, you know, you give them three Hail Marys for whatever they did, and then you move on. Like, it, it seems like there may be some, and obviously you can't really get data on this just because of the extremely private and understandably so nature of confession, but it seems like there may be something to look at in terms of how that's handled, um, you know, yes. with women getting penance and counseling, and there certainly is a lack of perspective when it's when it's uh, solely a a male priesthood. And obviously, you know, there's there's tradition behind that. But how do we how do we you know with that tradition? How do we still make that fundamentally? fair it's not it's not a it's not a question of just you know the priest always miraculously gets told you know 
what the appropriate penance should be or what the spiritual guidance should be. Um, there yeah. is a human level where we need to understand. Um, and it I, wouldn't be so deeply damaging if you weren't if the clericalism within the church wasn't giving them so much power and so much authority and so much weight to their words. If hmm. it was an option for many many Catholic mothers who were trying let's say that they're trying to explore a version of Catholicism in which they are open to listening to their doctor's advice about their own reproductive choices about uh, taking uh, contraceptives because they're trying to budget and, and trying to size their families and trying to be responsible and let's say that they are lucky let's say that they uh, they're trying to discuss these things with uh, you know, many Catholic women, what they have to do is just avoid the confessional or just avoid talking about it, which under the dogmas is considered a mortal sin. To yeah. not confess something that is considered a sin by the Catholic Church is considered a sin of sacrilege. Yeah, so and the least you could they... do is avoid talking to a male Catholic podcaster. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, there's, but what many of them have to do is they, they just have to, they deal with this guilt then because they know, they're like, on the books, I'm supposed to be confessing when I do this because according to the Catholic Church, I'm in danger of hellfire, but it's, but I know that this is not a sin to be responsible and listen to my doctor and take care of my marriage, take care of my children, but this priest doesn't necessarily know it, or he's required to pretend he conveniently doesn't know it, because that's what the teachings teach, and we have to pretend that that's not ridiculous, and that that's not putting women in danger. And, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, obviously I know I'm, you know, usually in this show, you know, I just kind of am able to, like, hand wave and say, you know, oh, and this is all, you know, this is just, I'm just letting you know the Catholic perspective on this, so, you know, take your own positions as you will. Um, in this case, obviously, you know, we are not in a uh, just Catholic interview, um, so there's, you know, there's more perspectives, both outside and inside Catholicism, and one of the things that I guess I want to want to touch on is there is a surprising amount of discussion, um, and, you know, Listeners, I don't know if you're Catholic, I don't know if you're not Catholic, but uh, I don't know if this is news to you, but it's not a it's not a monolithic thing. There's a lot of discussion among Catholics about, like, you know, where we can go in even, you know, just taking church teaching fundamentally, what does the church actually say? Not all priests have taken the time to understand what the specific church teaching is. Um, and obviously, you know... Sure, not all laity have either, but oftentimes we just assume that the priest uh, knows in and out, you know, humana vitae and um, everything beyond that. Um, sometimes it's the case where they only know humana vitae in, you know, the way that they received it, where there's more, there's more richness to explore and reflect on. Um, and I think there's something to be said for trying to see things from the perspective of the penitent. I, God willing and the creek don't rise, I feel like I'm seeing that more, but also um, mm -hmm. it's certainly not a guarantee and your your results may vary from parish to parish. And I apologize. I, 
I was I was hoping to not make this just another episode of the Greg Show, but I got off on, on my soapbox there. <laughs> so it's all right because this is a these are things of great concern because for most of us living our lives, we're trying to we're all trying to find ways to reconcile the mess between what what the intentions are with many Catholics and what the official teachings are and what how those form our lives and how those work with our communities etc so we're excuse me we're trying to find middle ground or trying to find what things we I was actually when I was when I first got on birth control I was speaking to my doctor and I was trying to explain to her that I had been fed in the cult specifically the NFP only cult who insists that if you can only use NFP for very serious reasons and that is the only method that you can use and if that doesn't work for you well then too bad but I so I was speaking to my doctor and she was this lovely lady and I said I've been fed a lot of misinformation about I know that there's there's risks that you have to take whenever you start a new medication and that some things might not go right but what would you but I need you to give me as much information about the pros and cons of these methods and try to be patient with me because if I'm nervous because I've been told my entire life that this is a mortal sin and that what I'm doing is going to send me to hell if I die and she said oh I'm Catholic too and yes I, I'm actually, I've, I've been experienced that with more than a few patients, and mm. I did have to make that choice for myself when I was a young, uh, when I was a young student in medical school, and make the choice for myself when I became a mother, and that's, uh, and I have encountered that within Catholic, in Catholic parishes sometimes there's a lack of understanding, but we all have to make choices for ourselves that are good for ourselves and try to protect ourselves. And I'm really glad that you're doing this for yourself and your family. Mm. And it was really encouraging, and I started to cry right there in the doctor's office. Mm. But she had that light of recognition in her eyes that she was at least aware of, that she was aware of the cultural conundrum. Mm -hmm. And And I, uh, I guess we don't have to, you know, go into specifics, but just... Was this at a, like, a like was this a Catholic hospital, or is this just, like, a generic... Like, obviously, there's a lot of Catholics around everywhere, but there's also a lot no, of Catholic was, hospitals around. No, this around. was not a Catholic hospital, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. It was, mm-hmm. it was a, it was like, I think this was in Suffolk, Virginia, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there was a, I, a I, su- I suppose if you were looking for that kind of advice, you, you probably didn't make a beeline for the Catholic no, I was, hospital. I was, not, I was not going to go to a Catholic hospital if I had a problem. <laughs> so I, I was kind of like, you know, we can either... You could either delve into a little bit more about, like, you know, the specifics of, you know, what, uh, what in your heart, if it was a change, um, went on, um, with you leaving the church, or we can talk about, uh, about, uh, your namesake, uh, Mama Mary, and, uh, I don't know, do you want to, do you want to rip, rip another Band-Aid off and talk about, uh, leaving the church, or is that a positive thing, negative thing? I gotta assume it's positive, since that's, you know, ultimately where you ended up and where you are. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't mind talking about it, about it at all. Okay, and then we'll but, circle back to Mama Maria. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Um, when I uh, when I was having my crisis of faith, which was really very short and sudden, looking back on it, what what prompted I mean, it? I think it was. 
it was strange. I think because it was happening, this happened like maybe four, maybe five years ago, but it was while I was working hard on my advocacy work, while the, uh, while the scandal broke again, like Christendom was having its own little scandal and then the larger scandal, no. uh, the ongoing Catholic Church that basically we had learned nothing since the 90s broke. And while that was all happening, that was kind of a catalyst uh, and a cr- an emotional crisis because I loved I loved the church deeply, and that was. And then I realized there were all these. While I was trying to really examine and really trying to find things within the church writings and the dogmas, doctor the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, the things the popes had written because I was trying to be a Catholic advocate specifically and was trying mm-hmm. to work with advocates and try to try to be a safe place for other for other Catholics that were very, very nervous about talking about consent education or mm-hmm. et cetera. There was the more I was digging, the more it was Yeah, because there's, there's that there's that Catholic there's that Catholic sense of consent means I do. <laughs> yes. And Sorry. Problematic. There was very. I was running up headfirst against the problems culturally and dogmatically in the church that I could see were actually exacerbating the problems of pedophilia and sexual abuse, mm. and also the purity culture that we were trying to fight. And I could see when people were making a case that, like, this is what the church has always been. I could see that they could point to those those specific teachings and the and the the tradition and be like, oh dear. They're There's they're uh, they're not wrong about that. They're not wrong. <laughs> this is how. So it reached a point where I was giving myself permission because I was having this crisis and because I was possibly I was feeling rather abandoned because I was able to really go within myself and face to face with God and be like, okay, I'm really, really desperate to try to sell a safe version of Catholicism that may not exist, or rather one that only existed within the hearts of Catholics. It was a hopeful mm. form version that was trying to find a way to that still wanted to empower women and didn't want purity culture rape culture or and was trying to find ways to change the structure and the teachings in a way that didn't endanger vulnerable people women and children i just real quick because that just struck me the way the way you mentioned like you know something that was in the faithful that they were wanting i mean i have heard you know, I don't know how much this is emphasized in different places, but, you know, in my in my meanderings through Catholicism, one of the things that has come up is the sense of, like, uh, the, the sense of the faithful. Um, you know, just the idea that, you know, the laity aren't necessarily dumb, and sometimes they do have some insights to be taken into consideration. Now, you know, most often, especially I think it's fair to say in American Catholicism, that can be uh, just kind of disregarded or you know look scornfully at but there is some tradition there 
Um, so yeah. that just kind of struck me when you talked about something that, like, you know, like the average Jose and Maria Catholic. A lot of a lot. There's a lot of Hispanic culture in U.S. Catholicism. So that's my oh, yeah. that's my sample names for Catholics. It's not a sp- specifically Hispanic phenomenon, though. Having that sense of the faithful. Oh no, um, that's very um, <laughs> very cross cultural. Yes, and, yes. But sorry, but that 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 just kind of struck me when you mentioned that that longing. Being among the faithful, and there there are still Catholics who um, who are still very much fighting for that church that's within their hearts, mm-hmm. that's growing within their individual communities, that is actually then that is that is helping them grow and doing doing good. I, uh, but for me myself, I had to ask myself like, all right, but what is this something that is helping me? Or do I want to lean more into my own spirituality? Mm. And because for the first time in my life, I was really giving myself permission to listen to my own heart and my own intuition and to trust my own insights and my own way of thinking. And not to wait for permission from a priest or mm. a bishop or a saint or uh, the proved Vatican document. I was not waiting for any of that. I was just going to focus on doing what I knew to be right. Mm-hmm. And one, I went to God within my heart and said, help me. I'm devastated because I'm afraid that I've been working all my life and unconsciously worshiping and obeying things that are actually antithetical to divine love. Mm-hmm. And for lack of a better way to put it, God spoke to my heart and in the silence and said, I have always been with you. I am love, and you have always known me. Don't be afraid. Hmm. So that was so that was when I made the decision that it was going to be okay. It was going to be hmm. okay if I if I had to depart ways with everything that I'd known and what I'd used for a spiritual crutch for so many years. And exploring spirituality on my own terms and just meant focusing on my mental health and my emotional health and rebuilding and disentangling was going to be enough for right now because what was very, very important for me was exploring a relationship with goddess or God mm. that was not based in fear and coercion. That was simply... Mm-hmm love and union and and just acknowledgement of the ways in which she's been with me all mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. So, can't help but notice the feminine pronouns. So, if you don't mind, um, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, has God always had a feminine pronouns for you or what's what's the uh what's the feminine oh, with no. the divine <laughs> no no that's a um uh, uh i'm gonna go into a quieter room for a moment 
That's fine. I've got the dog running around up here. That I'll I'll put a I'll put a warning up at the front of this recording. That's yeah. We're we're in make do audio mode. All right. Well, as I this actually ties in nicely to coming into a discussion of Mama Mary, as mm-hmm. I always used to call her growing up. Um, she, for many Catholics. Uh, not all of them, but for many of them, as particularly the ones who were raised in a, a cult, as I was, she, they were very, the teachers, the priests, and the religious sisters, and the parents were very uncomfortable with addressing the feminine within God. Even though dogmatically, and even though in, in the catechism and on all the textbook answers, they acknowledge that God is non-binary and they they spent a lot of time drilling into you that even though god encompasses both male masculine and feminine uh, he's not limited by either of those things it's not strictly masculine yeah or it's it, it, it's heresy to say god god is male yeah for some reason and yes and that's uh, the version of Catholicism that i went on and because also because culturally of the culture wars that were happening in the time in the 80s in the mid to late 80s early all through the 90s to the early 2000s the culture wars where they were talking within the cult about the crisis in masculinity that we needed to toughen our boys up we needed to we needed to pray the gay out of them we needed to etc we needed to they were it was very reactionary and they they were trying to emphasize the masculine within god the father god the son and god the holy spirit was usually portrayed in art as a dove yeah well and like there is tradition of the holy spirit as feminine Um, if you want to find those feminine pronouns for god yeah i was so upset because (laughs) i was like there is you know because i was like wait that was would have been really cool spirit and the you know and all those things but to emphasize the feminine within the divine but no because and this is part of the cultural misogyny problem at play again mama mary represents for many catholics it for many catholics she represents and is their first encounter with the divine feminine and she's even though she's not a goddess within catholic theology she's not god it's always very clearly emphasized that she is not God. She is a human who was elevated to be the queen of heaven and the mother of God through a whim of God, the father. And that's, but that she's the queen of heaven, the queen of the angels and the mother to all the earth and the mother of God. So she is the closest thing uh, within. And yeah, I mean, Catholics are known for, um, you know, having a strong emphasis on, uh, that particular woman, um, Mary. Yes, and <laughs> much to the much to the the pearl clutching of, of some of beloved Protestant uh, mm. brethren or non-denominational brethren. They, they 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 those poor things. They must be so frustrated with Catholics because Catholics will insist up and down like we're not worshiping her. She's not a goddess. It's not hy- it's hyperdulia, not 
the worship due to God, and it's perfectly fine for us to be carrying around this statue of her on our shoulders in procession, all laden with flowers, and to be chanting and praises and litanies and, uh, and with incense yeah. in front of her. Hey, this is I'm, not worship. I, I'm more and than happy to lightly... Right. Yes, yes, right. I am more than happy to lightly troll folks um, by, you know, doing things like making my... Uh, whole coverage of the uh, the New Testament, the uh, Second Testament, be themed around the mysteries of the Rosary and just having it be very obnoxiously Catholic and uh, <laughs> fairly Mary-centric as well, which is, I mean, I, I've got to admit, Maria, if, you, if your name weren't uh, Mary-based, we probably wouldn't be doing this interview right now. This is just where it fits <laughs> in the uh, schedule of the show. So <laughs> I apologize. Um, I, it is a pleasure to have you on, but uh, i got to be real about that, and I couldn't get... Uh, Mrs. Popular History um, on for this uh, this extended period of time, in part because she is currently um, uh, back to wrangling the kiddos. Um, so thank her for that. <laughs> but yes, yes. So so Mama Mary, um, clearly prominent in Catholicism. Um, Maria, um, yourself, uh, no longer being um, Catholic. Um, is Mama Mary still prominent? Mama Mary will always have been very formative to my ideas of my ideas forming about about God and the divine feminine and I will always owe a debt of gratitude to Mama Mary and sometimes sometimes out of habit or still I still when I address divine mother I do sometimes I do sometimes use some of the litanies that I prayed all through my life, hmm. not or adapted versions of them, because that's because when I our, she was um, she was given to me as my heavenly mother culturally, and I do view God as a mother because that's what psychologically is the most. Mm-hmm. It feels the most safe to me, personally. You, 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 you can't you can't just go and say um, that you uh, you are not Catholic, but you uh, pray some litanies without uh, specifying. I'm just, sorry, just I, I just need to know um, which which litanies. Anyone in particular? What's your favorite? Obviously, well, with I some modifications. Probably prayed the litany of Loretto, right? Mm-hmm. You know, no. and also there's uh, sometimes uh, you repeat. Uh, and sometimes I still pray the rosary too, or mm-hmm. it's, uh, and sometimes more also because of habit. And some that there are other periods where I need to avoid it because mm-hmm. it could be laden with. And many other ex-Catholics too, they have to. I I've talked to some ex-Catholics who were like, "Oh my God, I can't see a crucifix. I can't see a rosary right now because that's just so linked to spiritual abuse for me, and it's just psychologically laden with so much horror. I can't." Hmm. There's, but for me, it's uh, for some of them that's they're occasionally just comforting to me, and so sometimes I do use them in my in my spiritual practices. And hmm. I have a I have a little witch altar at home where I I do have a rosary on it, and that's, <laughs> uh, that might horrify some of the listeners. I I have but, so much follow up, but I don't want to make this an eighty-seven hour interview. Um. <laughs> so so which uh give me a minute on uh 
on what's going on there with you? Well, it's it's just it, it's not very it's something that I'm only vaguely witchy, really. I'm not. Um, it's not like I'm a practicing like I'm not Wiccan and I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not really a strict pagan either. I mean, there's that's the yeah. thing about the term witch these days is that it doesn't it can encompass a lot of different spiritualities and different practices, but. Um, uh, for me, it's just a it's just a little home altar that has um, things on it that help me to center myself or uh, listen to the divine within myself and find it within others. And that's uh, it's got uh, various little things on it, like like candles that are meaningful to me that are maybe aromatherapeutic that have like senses like. You know how, like, in Catholic churches, like, particularly, like, like traditional Catholic churches, they'll often burn incense, and they'll have candles with blessed beeswax that, mm-hmm. ner- that nuns have to prepare very specifically, and they, the same principle applies. It's really, it's, um, you put something like, for example, this, uh, this altar has, like, a little baby blanket on it that I used to wrap my firstborn child, both of my babies, and I saved it, and I'm using that as my altar cloth. And there's this little teddy bear that my partner bought me, and he just we put it aside with after I lost my I I miscarried twice, and so no. this little teddy bear kind of what represented for both of us it was the, the grief and the loss during that period, and so that's on my altar too. I mean, there's an image of little. There's a little tiny statuette of Joan of Arc on it. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a picture of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Mm. And it's a, there's a little fertility goddess statue there. And there's 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 a few. I love this rose quartz apple that I have on it too because symbolically, it represents you know forbidden fruit because we were all said a version a misogynistic version of that story in which somehow knowledge of good and evil is bad and uh, when actually knowledge of good and evil and seeking knowledge for its own sake is a good thing and that uh, that is definitely a weird part of genesis and i'm very story. comfortable with saying wrong. it's weird <laughs> I, I think it's a rich, powerful story. I think it's belittled when people take it too literally and take it through, and they don't realize that it's a very old story. Yeah, it's an old and weird story. And, and, I was gonna and say, like and many... let's let's be clear: you can be rich and powerful and be weird. In fact, you're uh, more often more rich and powerful for being weird. Um, and... All of the oldest religions, all old major organized religions, are rich in history are powerful and uh weird very very weird that's just and if anything that old that's what's going to happen i so. I, th- I think we can include catholicism on that as... absolutely <laughs> yes. it's not as old as some of them right but it's like well, more than two thousand years old so it counts <laughs> yeah yeah and and i i was going to have you know a little laugh line about you know a moment of silence for all the listeners that just gave up um once i started not immediately you know calling on you know persecution for the witch or whatever um but it's hard <laughs> to keep up it's hard to make a comedic riff when you're when you're talking about uh, your you know the miscarriage situations and um 
Yeah, it's just it's oh, yeah. something Many, something very one, personal. The number statistically is one in every four women. Yes. Yeah, one in every four women or yes. so have have had that loss, and those were my first two pregnancies. I so mean, we've we've I I may I may edit this out. Uh, we'll see what mm-hmm. Mrs. Popular History says, but I mean, you know, we've we've yeah. lost one as well. So you know, those listeners out there, um, if you've had any experience like that, I mean, you're you're not alone. Um, yeah. Certainly not. And it's for me. It's always it's a way to having this little teddy bear on my altar is a way to kind of uh, both connect and then let go. You know, to mm-hmm. I think in order to process grief, you have to acknowledge grief when it's there, and then just um, I don't like to use the phrase "give it to God" because that's become that's become laden with toxicity within the the mm-hmm. cult and the culture. But the but because you don't have to give any of your sufferings to God because God is within you. God mm. is suffering within you already. So basically, it's just sort of let it go for yourself and just feel, allow yourself to feel your feelings and then you can move on with your life. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. But that's basically like, oh, this little vial of holy water is a little bottle with Our Lady of Guadalupe on it because she's my namesake, and that's on my little altar too. <laughs> it's there's a little, uh, you know, right next to the little lapis lazuli bracelet, protection bracelets with the little image of the evil eye on it. Right next to that. It's, oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, they go together. It's that's um. You know, it's uh, it's the sort of thing like where it's more for setting your intentions, really. It's not like you use that protection bracelet like you think it's going to be a literal, like like oh wow, someone was going to was looking at me with envy and was going to curse me, but now because I'm wearing this protection bracelet, that's not going to happen. No, no, like a similar way, like when some Catholics wear the miraculous medal or the brown scapular. Mm. They don't literally think like, oh no, I took my scapular off to work out. Now if I fall down on the uh, trip on this uh, exercise equipment, it's all over. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I still don't exercise, just in case. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I will say, I'm going, I'm going through the list of, uh, of questions here, and uh, one of them is have you uh, have you made any adjustments to your spiritual practices or way of approaching spirituality after leaving the church? And you know, feel free to tack on if there's anything else. But I think I think the answer to that is clearly uh, yes. <laughs> yes, as you can, see, you can see, like generally, like while home altars are allowed within within Catholicism, you know, like uh, specifically calling it a witch's altar. Yeah, it's a bit different. Very similar to your Catholic home altar are not allowed. Like Catholic home altars, you'll see them. Often they'll have icons on them, maybe a little relic that's treasured inside, passed through generations, maybe a family Bible that has all these writings on it, you know, maybe a little rock they got as a souvenir on their trip to Jerusalem, you know, et cetera. I I mean, this this, this just ties in perfectly because I literally laughed out loud when we were kind of going back and forth and I asked you your favorite thing about Catholicism. So, Maria, what is your favorite thing about Catholicism? The weirdness of it and the paganism of it but also the you know the the parts of it of catholicism that doesn't want to deny what is natural to us as human beings or to the world the one that the part that has reverence for living things and reverence for the world 
Mm. And love for living things and love for our own natures and can see the can see the you know not be so blinded by our search for the ethereal and the spiritual that we forget the corporeal and the carnal and that's what i love about catholicism and well that and also it was maybe this is more specific to christianity for all listeners who are christians of other denominations radical love radical charity has been very useful to me personally in my in my uh my search to practice radical empathy i have found much of the vision of charity very useful for myself i know and as i've explored more i've become more aware of ways in which even the catholic version of charity has been used as a cudgel to just beat down people who are already oppressed and keep corrupt people still in power mm. like we think we've all experienced um because we both did advocacy work together mm-hmm. how many people from uh, the alumni group were trying to just in the name of christian forgiveness were trying to use it as an excuse to cover things up and not to seek justice for survivors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's um uh, but that's uh and also, I've moved away from the idea, because sadly some Catholic therapists will still do this, they'll still try to claim to people who visit them that they have to forgive their abusers, and I don't believe that anymore. While I personally have found it very helpful for me to forgive my parents and my abusers, anyone who has wronged me in the past or somewhere in the future it's i found forgiveness very liberating and for myself and very empowering and i uh and radical empathy it kind of goes hand in hand with that and that's that's the part that i connect with the radical love Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and honestly i mean i would say that's that's not far from the core, at least, you know, the core that folks who see hope within Catholicism, um, that's typically the core that they're looking at. any form of Christianity, mm-hmm. not even specifically oh, yes. Catholicism. Yes. Any of our Christian listeners from other denominations will often be like, and people who are not Christian will often be like, I'm Hindu, or I'm Buddhist, or I'm Shintoist, I'm... Uh, I'm Jewish. I believe in that too. Yes, yes. There, there is, there, there is, there is a something of the uh, standard disclaimer of when I say Catholicism, I don't necessarily just mean Catholicism, but uh, the mm-hmm. the the show is about Catholicism, so sometimes that's I just know. where my brain is. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, not not to the exclusion, but certainly to the inclusion. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the nature of that uh, that radical love, anyways. So, yes. Um, all right, so we are, we are by all accounts, um, passing the uh, hour mark. Um, is there anything you wanted to add? Anything else you wanted to talk about? I mean, you know, we can, we can chat a while longer, or um, whichever way you want to go. Well, I would say thanks for having me over, and for anyone who's listening right now, um, if anyone's asking me 
I want to say that I appreciate you listening to voices that are not Catholic, and especially ex-Catholics, ones that are not uh, no longer Catholic anymore, because I know that that can be difficult and that can be frightening to speak with people who've moved on from Catholicism and have different perspectives now, because when we do that, we can we can sometimes we sometimes have come face to face unintentionally with whatever it is we're questioning maybe within ourselves, and uh, and I think personally think doubt is a very good thing that you cannot have a true faith without some doubt. That's because mm-hmm. there's up until the, if you don't have any doubt, then what you're experiencing to me is not necessarily faith. It's certainty or ideal, even if it's ideological certainty. And so there should be room for questioning and room for doubt. So, so mm-hmm. it's always a wonderful thing to hear many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Maria. Um, thank you for your time. Um, I, I do think we'd love to have you again. Uh, we'll figure out, you know, when that makes sense. And uh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me.